Welcome to the Biz Coach Show, brought to you by My Biz Coaches. Our show is focused on giving entrepreneurs the edge they need to succeed. Learn more at mybizcoaches.com. Your host is Eric Whitmore, owner of My Biz Coaches. Eric is a business coach, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. Eric is passionate about sharing his knowledge and insights with small business owners so they can transform their businesses and achieve peak success. Learn more at mybizcoaches.com. Well, Eric, it is great to be with you as always. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent, David, and yourself? I am doing pretty darn good. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Good to hear. <laughs> well, hey, uh, great to be with you as we're diving into uh, what I think is a pretty important topic. And, and obviously, both of us, if anybody's listened to the episode uh, or watched a previous episode, both of us come from a sales background. And so, you know, whether it's individually or as a business, there's a few things that are more frustrating than um, suddenly having a decline in your sales. And specifically, if you're a business owner, um, that can be very worrying for a number of reasons. And so I think, you know, as we dive into this today, I think this is something that, you know, certainly we can relate to on, on a very personal level, both as, uh, you know, former salespeople and, and business owners, but I think, uh, you know, something that we can empathize with and have some great solutions for. So let's kind of dive in uh, to a sales decline and how you can recover from it. And I think maybe the starting point for us today is what are some of the common reasons that you see as a business coach as to why you know clients or business owners uh, can fall into that sales decline? Yeah, it's a really good question. And um, interestingly enough, quite a few different considerations there. Some of them that I would think about initially would be, um, and, and I, I'm actually going to share a few stories just to uh, to iterate the uh, uh, relatability there, but. Uh, we acquired, as you know, quite a few years ago, had a coffee shop mm-hmm. and we did the due diligence. We did the financial due diligence. I, I was confident that we'd done a, a, a good job of that. Uh, we went through everything. And um, sl- shortly after taking over the business, we went into summer and we expected a decline because it was seasonality, right? Summertime, right. hot coffee in Phoenix, not necessarily a really big draw. We did have a good um, uh, cold brew product that, that, uh, was, was supplemented the sales, but, uh, you know, still coffee in general in the summertime. And then Phoenix being what it is as a destination for others. It's also a lot of locals typically leave Phoenix in the summertime to get out of the heat. Right. So right. North or somewhere else. Anyway, point being is that when we took over, we expected a decline through the summer, but what happened was in the fall, the numbers really didn't come back to what previous years had suggested. And uh, we started looking into it and like, man, what is wrong? What is wrong? And uh, one of the partners, uh, one of my partners in that in that project uh, had been driving around the general community, let's say a three to five mile radius and found five coffee shops. This is over a a few month period of time that we did the due diligence, but found a five found five coffee shops that had opened within less than a year of when we acquired the shop. Well, and so consequently, none of that impact had been felt in the financial numbers of the coffee shop leading up to that point because they were all ramping up. Right. So the impact of and, and I said I said three to five, all five of the of the ones that I'm referencing were less than two miles away from our shop. Wow. And and they weren't all necessarily coffee shops, but they were like a bakery that had coffee. Yeah. Right. right. And, and or and there, but there were there were very specifically there were there were four other coffee shops and the other one was a bakery that had coffee, and so all of them were relatively newer, and so when we looked at the sales data, there was nothing to that would allude to that there was a drop off in sales the way that there were, and all of a sudden we're like this major drop off, and I'm like maybe maybe they lied on the numbers. I had to go back and. <laughs> You know, because we matched it up, we get matched against tax records, and then and then we also, as you would, we matched it up against bank statements. Yeah, and I'm like, what what's what are we missing here? And then, as I said, my partner started driving around. He found all these other coffee shops, and he'd go and talk to the owner and find out. Yeah, they opened like six months right before we opened our shop, or before we bought the shop. Um, so, I, ironically, the impact hadn't been filled, and as they started flourishing. 
and pulling business from us, we were feeling the decline of it. Uh, anyway, so the point being is that you you know there's changes in the market conditions and 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 um, you know that's a big one that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know to look for. And and you would think in a coffee shop, you know, you you've got a fairly you would think it's a tight knit group of people that kind of all know each other, uh, and that may or may not be the case. But I will tell you that when my partner made a conscious effort to go around and start introducing himself to these other people. We quickly realized what we didn't know about that part of the business, you know, and and, and needed to invest some time and energy to understand that. So, um, yeah, that's that's certainly one. You know, uh, the economy, right? We're we're in what people are calling a recession now. It's officially diagnosed as a recession or acknowledged as an recession. Uh, as a um, so the the that's obviously going to bring a reduction in sales, right? There, there's there's you know, now you will find that there will be certain businesses that will thrive through this period, or at least sustain through this period. Right. Uh, but there are all uh, there are absolutely going to be businesses that are going to be affected by this, and it's going to impact their sales. And I will tell you that the ones that are less disciplined in their marketing efforts, less disciplined in their sales generation efforts, are are going to feel it quite a bit more. Those who are really disciplined and consistently do their follow up and get a lot of referral business and things like that won't feel it the same way that those that that don't do or will. Right. Um, yeah. So that's an important component to understand because there are ways to buffer against that, which I think we get into a little bit later here. But <laughs> but um, that's an important component to understand is is that you know it, economically things are changing, people are feeling the impact. They're going to spend less and and that could impact your business depending on the business you're in yeah um so we talked about competition we talked about market demand um change in customer preferences is an interesting one um the i i i liken this to the idea that the um uh things are hot and cold um for instance and, and when we talk about sales i i go to there's couple of other things I think about a reduction in sales. Lots of times I think about restaurants. Yeah. yeah. Restaurant sales drop down. What's the impact? Why is that happening? Well, in, as you know, in the restaurant world, being a bit of a foodie yourself, um, may not be at a professional level, but certainly a semi-pro. Aspiring. 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 There you go. Aspiring. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, as well as anybody, that um, things are, are uh, popular and then they're not. Right. You know, and and they may come back and be popular again, but sometimes they don't. <laughs> um, but that's another consideration. I think that um, I remember you know, when I was younger, I'm going to say many, many years ago, um, nightclubs were an interesting business model. And a lot of people would make a ton of money in nightclubs. And then uh, in a short period of time, three, five years, I and mean, we're talking like crazy kind of money, like millions of dollars kind of money. Um, and then five, six years later, they're not a popular nightclub anymore and they're shutting down. Yeah. yeah. And I always wondered, I'm like, what a unique business model. I mean, you make a ton of money in a short period of time and all of a sudden you're not cool anymore and nobody goes there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, customer preferences and restaurants are always um, subject to that. There, I literally look back to um, my early days, my first ice cream business and one of my clients was TGI Fridays. Hmm. And uh, I don't remember the last time I saw TGI Fridays. I don't even right. think they exist anymore. Yeah. They, they probably do. They probably have some brands out there, but I couldn't tell you the last time I saw one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So uh, customer preferences and, and, and there's a, there's a tendency for things to come and go with, um, um, <laughs> I say mood swings. It's not really mood swings, but it's like what's popular now and what's not. And, yeah. and things tend to disappear. And I think what's important to recognize with that as a business owner is know that if you're in an industry that has a tendency to do that, know where you are in your shelf life. Right. Right. If you're buying into an older brand that's been around for a while, uh, you know, make sure that they're staying up with the times and they're adjusting accordingly to be, um, to continue to be influential in the space that they're in. Otherwise there's a good chance that it disappears and isn't popular anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, um, and then, uh, you know what, the uh, ineffective marketing strategies is a big one. Um, marketing pivots, you know, you're not, uh, you try to do an, a new marketing strategy and it, it falls flat. You know, uh, I would always say that that as a salesperson, you know, referencing that, as you mentioned earlier, um, I would always tell people that your, your ability to generate new leads, new sales is directly commensurate with your efforts in, in asking for referrals. Yeah. Right. And working at referral base. 
And I often would say that if I had a really strong month, I could almost always, almost always go back and look at the previous 90 days and probably had some really significant effort that led to, and, and, and there's some, there's some, some, uh, I call it sales karma that kind of plays out, I would say, but, uh, you know, a little mystic, get a little mystical on you there, but there's a little bit of sales karma that seems to tend to play out. But if I did a lot of effort in the 90 days leading up to, I may have had decent months, but for some reason on a particular month, everything would seem to culminate and I'd have this phenomenal month. And it just kind of felt like it came from out of nowhere. But if you actually went back and you looked, you'd see that maybe I I did some additional events or I had some unique uh, opportunities with referral referral partners that drove me a lot of extra business or one big client or something like that, that I've been working on for six months, all of a sudden played out. And that has a tendency to play out. I think that in small business, we see the same thing. Right. So then, and you know, you you talk about customer service, if your service is lacking, your sales are going to follow suit. Right. And, and, And so the reverse of what I just referenced, if you've done a good job of selling, but the service isn't resulting, you know, like you're, you're dropping the ball and falling through on things. Yeah. Yeah. You close a bunch of clients, but then you'll come back and bite you in the butt because you'll start losing it. And then that bad recognition. And we've talked about this before on the show. It's uh, you know, if it 10 X is, you know, if, if it 10 X is at sales, if you 10 X your sales, because you're doing all these extra things, you're a hundred Xing in the reverse. If you're putting out a bad reputation or something. Yeah. Well said. So, but there, yeah, a lot of different reasons that can cause a sales decline. And, you know, one of the things that I go back to, and I, I joked about this the other day, is if, you know, if somebody asked me that, the first thing I think of, what are you doing with your sales process? Yeah. My bet is, my bet is you're shortcutting your sales process. Yeah. You know, off the top of my head, the first thing I look at is I look at my sales process. Before I'd even look at my marketing, before I'd even look at the market demand or anything like that, am I following my sales process? Because I my guess is you're likely not. And now that's to your point, 25 years of managing sales. So <laughs> yeah, right. Well, let's let's dive a little deeper into that. So let's say, you know, I'm a business owner and it's um, you know, I'm I'm good at looking at the data, pretend all business owners are, but let's say I'm week two or week three of a, a pretty notable week over week decline in my sales. Like what mm-hmm. what should be the, the first two or three things that I should do? Uh, well, first of all, I would de- you know, to your point, I'm looking at the numbers, I'm looking at conversion rates. Um, you know, what, what's where, so you have different points throughout the process, including marketing, you know, uh, you know, so if, um, if my marketing hasn't changed, right. If I'm doing, if I'm, my marketing is consistent, uh, I'm trying to think of a model we can use. Let's use, for instance, um, uh, something I'm relatively familiar with. Let's say a landscaper, not, not a yeah. traditional landscaper maintenance, but let's say a hardscaper where we do okay. turf installation and pavers and all that fun stuff. Right. Very popular thing here in Arizona, particularly in the Western U.S., um, to have your yard all done up and everything. Yep. So um, many of them advertise in those print magazines. You know, you get a mail to your homes. It's a new home concepts or something like that. And it's just littered with stuff like that. So if I'm running the same ad and all of a sudden over to your point, a multiple week span of time where my numbers are down dramatically, let's say 25, 35 percent. That'd be pretty yeah, significant. Ouch. right? So um, the first thing I'd look at is if I haven't changed anything there, the next thing I would look at is what's our call volume look like? Because that that art, that 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 periodical that I'm using to market in should be generating, theoretically generating the same amount of, of phone calls. And if it's not, that's that, okay, then, then there's something wrong with the marketing component, right? That's right. A, there's something that's not converting. Maybe, I mean, I, honestly, I, I'm going back to our early days in wireless. And I remember we actually ran an ad and nobody could figure out why it wasn't working. Lo and behold, we look at it and the phone number was wrong. So yeah, yeah you're laughing. Good thing you're on mute because. That, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and the crazy part is nobody caught it. I was the manager of another location. And this is literally like 25 years ago in my first year in, in the, in the business. Yeah. And I worked at another store in the other side of town and, and we were on a manager meeting and everybody's complaining. The manager of that store is like, yeah, I'm not getting any traffic and nobody's calling blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, um, did anybody happen to realize that the phone number's wrong? And they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, the phone numbers listed wrong. It was a typo. It was a transposed yeah. two numbers. It was one five instead of five one or something like Some that. Some guys get a bunch of calls he didn't expect. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably some retiree or something like that. Oh, yeah. He keeps calling my house. But uh, yeah, so the um, 
you know, it's something as simple as that. You have to look at, okay, so here, here's the first conversion rate is from, from marketing to what should be my first result. Let's say in this case, phone calls, right? I'm going back quite a few years. You know, today it could be email conversion rate. It could be click-through rate. It could be, you know, whatever it is. But when it goes from this point to this point, is the number consistent? Are the phone calls about the same as they were before? And if they are, okay, what's the next step in the process? So again, it's all about the sales process. I'd analyze the sales process before. And I think that the sales process is going to show you the vast majority of gaps and opportunities and and where everything lies. And then you can back into. um, So if the phone calls are the same, then you got to imagine, okay, well, at that point, if the phone calls come in and who's taking the phone call? And, and how does that go from the phone call to the actual sales conversation, right? Does, right. It, does somebody field the phone call and then it becomes an appointment? Does the person on the call, are they the salesperson that can close that sale on that conversation? You know, what does that process look like? And each step of the way, there's a right, there's a reduction in, right? If we start with a thousand people, the thousand people that you know, I am using as a reference point, right, that come through. If it goes from a thousand to five hundred, and from five hundred to one hundred, from one hundred down to fifty, and out of fifty qualified appointments, we usually get twelve sales. Yeah, um, you know, so we have a twenty-five percent closing ratio on that rate. And and and, but it, the idea is every one of those steps, if those are all consistent, and and the drop off is at the very end, well, then it's in your closing process. Somebody's not closing effectively. Right. Um, could be pricing at that point. It could be. It could be. You know, maybe. Um, uh, you have a, a new salesperson who's not converting well, right? I mean, it's you know, so it's literally the, the idea is that if you have a good sales process, you can go back and step through it. You can figure out where the, where the disconnect is, yeah. and it literally has to start from customer acquisition all the way down into the, those final steps. So that, that's where I would go to. I mean, that's that, and, and it that encompasses both marketing and sales, um, and and really kind of look at that. The other thing you need to understand is how many of your sales come on first call close. How many of your sales take multiple conversations, right? Yeah. Are we um, are we potentially you know trying to close on first call close? And if you're closing on first call close, uh, then and 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 our conversion rate at that point is let's just say for the sake of argument fifty percent. Well, now you know with the number of calls that we have first call close, we're closer to like twenty five percent. My guess is something's broken in the process. Somewhere along the way, we, we, we're dropping the ball. And it, at that point, whatever that point is, we need to uncover where the gap is in that, in, that, um, in that scenario. And my bet is if somebody's trying to do a first call close on a, on a sales process that probably should be set up for three calls, then, then that's where the gap is, right? You're trying right. to push, you're pushing a, a, particularly like a high ticket product like we were talking about with Hardscape. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to do a first call close, good luck. That ain't happening. Right. Yeah, you're talking about a fifteen to twenty-five, or even potentially thirty or forty thousand dollars investment. Yeah, yeah that's going to be multiple conversations. The client's yeah. probably going to shift. Uh, they're oh, shift. Sorry, they're they're probably going to uh, shop around and get yeah. competing prices. You're going to have to go back. You're probably even going to proactively have to call back and say, "Hey, did you get those other quotes you were looking at? Where did we fall out? What other questions can I ask you for?" You know, yeah. you can't just assume that your one pitch is going to close that deal. You're going to go back and do multiple follow-ups with that client. Cause if they're getting other, sh- getting shopped by, or if they're shopping other potential vendors um, you know, you've got to do your due diligence on your end to make sure that you're staying top of mind with them, yeah. uh, whether that's yeah. through some kind of drip campaign, constant follow-up calls or texts or something, but you need to stay top of mind throughout that process, especially yeah. if you're the first one to present to them. Right. Cause yeah. te- people have a tendency to only remember the last presentation they had. Yeah, whatever's freshest in their mind, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, and we, and, you know, as salespeople, we have a tendency to forget that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you kind of, you know, I'm seeing this little bit of a fork here where there's external things and then there's internal things. So maybe let's kind of look at the external piece of this first, and, and let's say there is, you know, something broken with the the marketing side of it, and we're just not reaching people the way that we were. Um, what's some strategies that a business owner can use to attract and convert maybe new prospects during that sales decline? Yeah. So the first thing I would look at, again, I'm going to be facetious, but um, the first thing I would look at is, are we talking to print and radio versus digital? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because if you're yeah. not doing digital, you're not doing it right. <laughs> That's yeah. going to be the first thing I would say. Now, there's nothing wrong with supplementing your marketing with with 
print, uh, you know, media or or uh, or radio or even potentially cable. Uh, but cable is different today. It's not cable. It's it's streaming, right? It's streaming yeah. on on whatever you know, Hulu or whatever. Uh, but the point that's really more digital anymore these days. Even radio, for that matter, could be a lot more digital yeah. than it ever was before because you're usually doing it on a podcast like our show or something like that. And there's actually a visual, uh, uh, sorry, a, um, uh, a digital tracking that you can do from the medium. But um, you know, print ads, even you know, there's some with that too. But so anyway, if I segregate the two and I just focus on, let's focus on digital because. When, when I say digital, we have footprint of how people got where they got and how they yeah. went, where they went to the next step. And so the beauty of that is it allows us to recognize those, those decision points that I referenced earlier and see where the gaps are. But if you're not driving the traffic, then it's, it's often a message like, which is your offer compelling? I mean, that's one of the first things that we ask a client to look at. Probably the first thing, I, uh, I almost say probably absolutely the first thing we'd ask a client to look at is say, okay, where, who is your ideal client, right? Who are you talking to? Who are you targeting as a, as a client? Um, if I'm selling hardscape to somebody who rents a house. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're targeting community, like for instance, um, it sounds a little bit of a stretch, but I guarantee you there are particular areas in Phoenix, uh, the Phoenix Metro, not just Phoenix, but in the Phoenix metro area, which is where uh, I have to live, I live in Chandler, uh, I will tell you that I know for certain that there are areas of the Phoenix metro area that are have a high propensity for um, uh, rental, even though they're single family homes. Yeah. So a large number of rentals, they could be short term rentals uh, like uh, Airbnbs, or they could be long term rentals, a traditional you know, renting a house from somebody. Uh, but there are certain parts of town that are, have a much higher propensity for renting. Um, and if your marketing is going after that target area, that may not be the ideal target market. Right. Right. You generally speaking, um, you know, somebody who's doing a rental, whether it's short term or long term, uh, they're not spending a ton of money on fixing up their yard. So you need to make sure you're right, targeting the right areas. Now, on the flip side of that, if your target market is um, again, it's it, you're doing hardscape and you're and you're targeting a particular community in the Phoenix metro. Let's say, for instance, Paradise Valley, which you and I both know is a nicer community right it uh, certainly has a fair amount of money and i will certain to say from being in those neighborhoods and seeing those homes and and being in many of those homes quite honestly um knowing very well that you're talking to easily people will drop a couple hundred thousand dollars on fixing up their yards and, and making right. them the way they want them right yeah. um you were talking you're talking gazebos and casitas and all kinds of stuff right i mean it's like top of the line kind of stuff hundred thousand dollar two hundred thousand dollar pools and all fun stuff like that so if you're targeting that and all of a sudden everything drops off, well, now are we offering the right service? Are we offering the right solution? Yeah. Right. Our, is our marketing targeted to the client that we're, you know, is the, is the offering that we're offering targeted to the client that we're offering it to? And then yeah. is our offering competitive? You know, I think that there's um, uh, one, of, one of the disconnects that I used to get frustrated with in the wireless industry is that um, the marketing may not be, uh, that we there was a there was a strategy that was often uh, proposed to us that we should um, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this that we should use a lost leader basically to get people mm. in the store right right and uh, you know so it's like give away the free, free car charger yeah 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 give, well, give away the free car charger with the phone activation right yeah well you know uh, you know anybody who knows who's bought their items on Amazon or some other online format. Uh, recognize that they can get a car charger for about six or eight bucks, yeah. um, maybe cheaper, depending on what they're willing to accept. And consequently, six or eight dollars isn't a really compelling reason to buy a phone. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what's your offer and who are you targeting again? You know, um, yeah. uh, so I, th those are those are other key components. So who are you targeting? Are you targeting the right product to the right customer? Uh, and then, um, you know, what's your offer? How compelling is your offer? Because yeah. when you're trying to reach out, and this actually goes back to um, Chet, Chet, uh, dang it. Let's see, it was Hughes. Now I'm going to have to uh, reference check it. Uh, he did a, um, a pyramid. And in the pyramid, he broke it down. And he basically said that the, um, the anybody, people that are in a buy now mode, somebody will buy right now. That literally only represents 3% of the population. 
So if they're in a buy now mode, you're looking at about 3% of the population. There's another subset or another set of that, which is 7% of the population. So you've got 3% is the top, very top pyramid, right, the little piece at the top. Then there's 7% right below that. Those people are ready to buy, but they don't know who you are. They don't know, like, and trust you yet. Right. So they're, they're, well, they're ready to buy. They just don't, they're not ready to buy from you because they don't know you. Right. And then the next subset. So that represents 10% of the population base. So if you had the right offering to the right person, they would buy it now. Yeah. That's 3%. If you had the right offering, but they, because they don't know you're not ready to buy, that's the next 7%. Then the next subset after that, and it kind of keeps breaking it down until you get to the group at the bottom, which is represents about 30% of all the population, has no idea who you are, has no interest in the product that you're selling. Yeah, right? And so really just, yeah. right, right, exactly. And so they just progressively gets further and away, further away from your target audience. And so if you, if you have the right market and the right offer and you have the right target client and you have a good compelling reason to buy from you and you do a great job of conveying what you're capable of doing for them, you add all that, you have as much as 20 or potentially even 30% of the marketplace that you can capture, but you're also competing against everybody else who's offering the same thing. So you've got to be competitive. You've got to be aggressive and then, you know, I think that the, you know, again, going back to use Hardscape, um, what I use to get somebody to engage with me is that lost leader concept. But I've also got to be able to upsell once I engage with the client. Yeah. Right. So that, and I think that's another big piece of that. What I sell as my core service, my, my core offering uh, is one thing that's going to get you to engage with me because it's compelling. It's the, it's what you're looking for. At least that's what you think you're looking for. Um, and then what I do is I, my upsell is what are the incremental things I would add with that that really rounds out and makes us a full purchase, not only for me as a business where I'm getting more incremental revenue, but you as a client, you're getting the best value. Yeah. Well, I, I, just to add to that, I think one of the things that people need to you know think about is the quality of your marketing is associated with the quality of your product or service. And so yep. you know, just one really basic example that I've seen is if you're looking at, you know, two, uh, we'll, we'll go with the hardscaping still, two hardscaping companies and one in the ad of their website has, you know, really high end design, great fonts, you know, everything looks clean and polished, modern, the, the photographs are high end, right? That that's going to be a big differentiator versus somebody who took it, you know, um, on a, on a cell phone, you know, kind of hasty, the angle's weird, the lighting's weird. I'm going to go with the company, you know, same price point. I'm going to go with the one that has better marketing, better website, better photo, right? Even if it is slightly more, I'm still going with the better presentation. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly yeah. In, a, in an area like that, because think about it, you're, you're making that investment. And that's something that's going to stick with you for 10, 15 years in your home. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You shortcut, you shortcut that you're going to be on, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. And then, to, and then that translates into how do you show up, you know, to do the estimate, right? Are you showing up yep. in a polo or are you showing up, you know, in a ripped shirt? I mean, it's just all those little things add up over time. So I think yep. um, that that's an important thing. And, and Eric, I'd love your thoughts on this too, just in terms of conversion, right? So let's say, you know, we look at it, we either approve our marketing, decide our marketing is good, but we have, you know, we're getting them to, let's say our site or phone call. Um, one of the things is, is probably like, call to action, right? So is there a clear call to action? So maybe any thoughts on that and kind of how that plays into conversion in the digital age? Yeah, absolutely. And as we continue to um, work more and more closely with our clients in this regard, one of the factors that, you know, it's just something as simple as, okay, I'm looking at your webpage. Is your call to action above the fold or below the fold? Mm -hmm. So anybody who knows digital marketing understands exactly what I just said. Anybody who doesn't has no clue what I'm talking about. And, and is such a gap, right? I mean, it's like you either know or and you understand or you have zero clue. And if yeah. you have zero clue and you built your own website, um, <laughs> then you, you, are, you are not converting at a rate you should be converting at. Just simple as that and, and above the fold just for clarification's sake, meaning I'm looking at your web page and everything that I'm seeing is what before I have to scroll down, right? Right, yeah. to be clear. And so if, if, if what I'm looking at above the fold has a very clear call to action, to your point, a big red button for all intents and purposes, this says, you know, get more information now, uh, qualify now, uh, 
you know, place a phone call now, whatever it is, whatever that call to action that you want is clear and obvious and, and right there for some simple for somebody to take action on, um, you'll get better results. Yeah. It's as simple as that. If I have to scrow, uh, scour through your website to figure out where I have to push a button, I mean, uh, we, we, we joke about this all the time, but I've got like zero patience. Right. Um, take, take two sites, put them side by side. Take a, they could be phenomenal, both of them. One has a clear call to action. The other one doesn't. It's 50% better results. Guaranteed yeah. right there. Well, and, and especially digital age now, I mean, there, there's no reason not to have a landing page targeted to the ad that you're running, right? I mean, if you're Absolutely. if you're paying to run an ad, whether it's print or digital, send people to a landing page that's geared toward that offer. And instead of Absolutely. just your homepage, which is not as compelling, right? And I mean, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but you know, why not have a landing page that has a very clear call to action on it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you say that, David, I, I would, I, even as we're redeveloping our site, that's one of the things that I've recognized. We have different clients. We, as you know, we serve multiple different clients as a coach. And one of the challenges we have is the marketing that resonates with one client yeah, doesn't market doesn't resonate with another client because they're in different spaces in their lives, in their life cycles, their business cycles, whatever you want to reference. And so, consequently, um, this ad copy does not resonate with this ad copy. The, the client who's reading this ad copy. Yeah, and and so the way that you solve for that is rather than drive my clients to my website, I drive my clients to your point to a specific landing page. If I have a yeah. business owner who's looking to exit their business. And they want coaching on how to propel to se- prepare to sell the business. That copy is going to be completely different than the person who yeah. three years into their business and wants to add, you know, five new trucks to their routes or whatever. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. Completely different sales strategy and 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 um, copy that's going to resonate. So to your point, it makes zero sense to send people to a website anymore when you can just use a simple landing page. Not to say you want to have a website, but I don't yeah. want to drive my traffic to a website. I want to drive my path traffic to a landing page. Give them a single clear call to action with 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 copy that's speaking directly to me as a consumer. Right. Yep. Yeah. Couldn't agree. Yeah, great point. Excellent. So, okay. Well, hey, let, let's transition then. So we talked about some of the external stuff. Let's kind of go internal a little bit here. So you talked about you know some of the the internal factors, whether that's broken sales process or one of the things that we didn't really touch on, which is maybe like team morale. So, I mean, we've seen, oh, yeah. seen this, unfortunately, where, um, you know, changing a comp plan and then everybody just loses their mind and they can't focus and nobody sells anything or, um, you know, whether, I mean, there could be so many different things that, that become a factor. Uh, I'd be curious your thoughts on that, kind of those internal things that maybe the business owner doesn't think about. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting as you say that. I literally, my mind goes in a million different areas. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you reference comp plan. I mean, how many times do we change a comp plan and literally like sales shut down for four days? Yeah, like, yeah. like our, yeah. our our conversion ratio is normally fifteen percent. All of a sudden, we're closing at seven percent, and nobody can yeah. figure out why. I'm like, no, I can tell you why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's still trying to figure out how to get paid. They don't know what to sell. They don't have their numbers. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, any kind of uh, any kind of unique change in the business is going to distract from the pri- primary focus of driving sales results. Yep. And um, and and unfor- and as unfortunate as that sounds, and it, it's the reality in almost all businesses. When there's a unique change or transition in a business, we often find that the um, that the um, the as 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 things transition, we often find that the uh, the distraction pulls us from what our daily function are uh, and what we should be uh, trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as that, as that plays out, a good leader is, is quick to recognize that and maybe make the adjustments accordingly, but right. it doesn't change the fact that people are still going to go through that emotional process that they go through. Yeah. And, and so I think that that's one, you know, one really compelling component, but I mean, you mentioned weather. I mean, that's a whole nother factor. If you're in the Pacific Northwest, um, I remember in in Arizona for the years that I was in Arizona when I first started in the wireless industry. Um, nice weather day, it, it didn't matter. It was always nice, right? Three hundred yeah. plus days out of the year, it's sunny right. and beautiful out, right? Now, how hot it is might be a little bit different, but it's still nice out, right? Yeah. Um, it was when it rained and we had the torrential downpours, you know, that that you know, flash flooding and all that fun stuff that people didn't come out. Yeah. Consequently, I moved to the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest, and it rains all the time. 
Right. And, you know, it was that was, you know, people are shopping all day long every day. It doesn't matter what the weather's like, but you get a really nice day in the spring. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you can't find anybody. There's like nobody right. in the stores. Right. Yeah. Um, so those are unique things, obviously, that, that factor in. But uh, any kind of d- dynamic change in the business from a from a strategic adjustment pr- perspective is going to change things in the daily operations, the daily execution of of your sales functions. And that's that's a, uh, a a very simple thing that will very very easily detract from driving sales results. Yeah. So that, a lot of a lot of functions there. Right? You know, I think that the the more that you have a better handle on what could distract the business, the better you're going to be at adjusting. Um, the reality is you can't change some of those things, but if you're familiar with it, and and if you're tracking, right? That, that's another big thing I think is important. If you're constantly tracking those sales, yeah. You, you will see the trends. And when you recognize the trends, now you can plan for them more effectively. Right. Like for instance, yeah. when we were in the Pacific Northwest, one of the things we specifically did when the, when the better time of the year was coming, when the weather was nicer, we started moving to the point where we're now, we're actually having, um, we're doing outdoor events Yeah. because people are outdoors. So we're moving right. to outdoor events because it was easier. We draw people into those events to get to capture business rather than try and drive them to our stores. Yeah. Um, you know, so go where the customers were basically was the analogy that we were trying to use. Right, right. Um, and I think that's a big factor as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes sense. And so I think, you know, just looking at those two things, right, it's it's sometimes one or the other, but sometimes it's a combination. I think that's where it's particularly challenging is if you have, absolutely. you know, um, external pressure, marketing issues, and your sales team has morale issues, and you have a bunch of new people that aren't following the process like that compounding effect can be really difficult uh, to manage through, which kind of leads me to um, our, our next question, which is as a business owner, what are some of the important things from a kind of a mindset or psychology perspective that allows them to stay positive during those sales declines? Mm. Um, well, I think that the, the uh, one of the things that we, um, haven't addressed yet as, 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 as directly as, is the, the, the metrics that we should be measuring. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and the reason I mentioned that before I answer that question is I think what's important about that is when you know the metrics really well, and you know what metrics you're tracking that are relevant for your business. I mean, you theoretically should be able to, and we mentioned this before, again, on the call. Um, you know, if I take the metrics of each of the different conversion rates that I want and um, all the different uh, factors that play into those conversion rates, and I know what I'm looking for, well, I can see the trends. Like for instance, to your point earlier, um, you mentioned two or three different factors all combining at the same time, right? Yeah. You're gonna see that play out in your metrics if you're you're watching on a daily basis. Um, And one of the things I think is important about the sales metrics, uh, all of your collective metrics that you measure, uh, and we've talked about this before, having a certain set of, of key KPIs um, yeah. So not like KKPIs, right? <laughs> right? Like super important KPIs. The, yeah. the ones that are the ones that give you the most insight in your business. And if you take those handful, six, seven, eight, ten, whatever that is, and you're looking at them every day, you'll be able to see the trends, and and you'll recognize that the new sales team that came on board that's struggling with the conversion rates is pulling down our our close rates at the at the, right. at the, at the, at the you know. At, whatever point, right? Let's say at a retail store. Um, and I'll start seeing that play out. And oh, by the way, in a compensation plan change. Well, yeah. now there's a compounding effect and I'm actually going to see that play out even more so. So now we got new people and then you're going to see my experienced people are dropping off because they're distracted. They're frustrated. They're they're not engaged the way they need to be. And then, then you add yet another component, let's say a seasonality change or whatever else it might be. And now all of a sudden, um, you know, you got some, you got some negative attitudes um, because you got bad leadership in a handful of stores and, and you're in a position where you can't change it all out at one time. Well, now all of a sudden you got boom, boom, boom. And you're like, um, why are we closing it on half of the rate we should be closing at? Yeah. And to your point, but you would see that in the metrics if you're looking at your numbers every day. So that's the reason I bring that up. Um, that kind of going full circle back to the question you asked is, you know, how do you how do you manage through some of that? Um, the 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 important part is to, to see it. Yeah. Right. I, and that's where I, I I having my background, having been in accounting, I, I, I always looked at the numbers as well as the people. 
Yeah. Right. I, I see it as a, I see it as the, you have the science and the, the, um, um, what's the other terminology I want to use? Um, the art, art and science, the art and the science. Thank you. Yeah. So you have the science and you have the art, the, the, obviously the science is the numbers. The art is in how you manage people, right? Because people's, people's personalities and, and things like that, they're all malleable. They're, they're just, you know, based on the day. I mean, on the whim, you know, uh, I woke up this morning, I was in a great mood. And then, uh, you know, I got in a car accident on my way to work and now I'm miserable and I'm grumpy and, or, you know, I got a, a phone call from my spouse and distracted me and now I'm completely frustrated and I'm not focused on what I need to be focused on. Right. Um, you can literally see that play out yeah. if you're watching the yeah. next year, right? Yeah. So my point being is, is that um, if I see it play out in the numbers, a good leader can look at that, analyze that and say, okay, now I need to go and assess what's going on. Um, maybe that's just a simple phone call. Yeah. Right. To, to the individual, the group, the team, whatever. Uh, it could be a sit down conversation. It could be, you know, maybe I, I go to the facility or I sit down or I sit through a sales process with somebody and find out what's going on. What are we doing wrong? What 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 gaps are in the sales process or whatever it might be? Um, but you can't you can't coach to what you don't see. Right. Right. And, and if you if you see it, then you can coach to it because now you can make adjustments according based on what you're seeing. But if you can't see it, if you don't know it, you don't you don't you don't see where the disruptions are in the business. You'd never be able to adjust it. And yeah. and I've seen people. Uh, this is a good example. Take a business owner who's not really actively involved in the sales process in any business. Doesn't matter what it is. Uh, they they empower and or um, maybe even so much as uh, because they don't want to do the sales part of it. They like the back end part, the execution part, but they don't want to do the front end sales part of it. So they give it to somebody else. What happens when the sales results aren't there? What is the owner inclined to do? Blame the salesperson. Right. Right. It's the salesperson's fault. However, if I blame the salesperson, what's the salesperson going to, by, by just sheer human nature, what are they going to do? They're going to make an excuse. This is why yep. we didn't get the sale. Right. Um, it, it was, you know, whatever external reason they can come up with. Yep. Now, here's the problem for the owner. The owner can't coach to that. Right. Because the owner didn't see it. The yeah. owner, did, owner didn't observe it. They don't have any. And worse yet, they're not involved enough in the sales process to provide coaching to improve it. Right. So yeah. huge, huge gap gets created when you're not familiar with and, and don't have a strategic process in place to manage that whole process. And again, I, I go back to, for me, it's in the metrics. Yeah. I can see the trends playing out before they actually happen. I can see that in the coming days. If I have a series of five days, even if I have one good day in between the five, I have a series of five days that are not good. Um, something's amiss. Yeah. And and I need to dig in and figure out what that is. And that, like I said, it could be a simple conversation with the leadership. It could be me observing and sitting in and going through that scenario. But um, the only way you're going to be able to coach through that is to be familiar with what's really truly going on. Um, yeah. Because the, if you, you won't know to ask the right questions, if you don't. Yeah, I think you said something really important, Eric, but I think it's important to unpack that just a little more uh, toward the end. And, and uh, I don't know if you intended this, but I know we've both seen this is it can be so easy to focus on the decline and, and you miss those little wins. And that can be so powerful sh for shifting momentum, especially Great if point. you have salespeople, right, is, you know, we had a, a good day. Maybe we didn't have a good day. We had a good hour. We had a good you know, interaction, right. And, and getting really micro with it and, and start to shift the momentum and the talk track internally for yourself and your team. And that can be very powerful psychologically. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, I bring it back to the metrics, right. And so if I see the numbers getting bad, but then I see a good day, I'm like, awesome. Like, you know, my personality, my style as a, as a sales leader, I, I did not give up kudos easily, right? It yeah. was, you, you had to earn it, right? Um, yes. But at the same time, if I realized somebody was struggling, yeah. I went out of my way to find the positive things to acknowledge. Yeah. If I saw the good things, I'd go out of my way to acknowledge that and 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 play that person up to build the confidence back. Because to your point earlier, if, if the sales team is down and they're frustrated, they're distracted, whatever, and I don't find a way to turn that attitude around and get them back on the right track we could be in for a long ride yeah uh, you know a long ride to a bad place right so yeah. the the it's key to recognize that and really kind of re-engage the the excitement and i mean you've heard me say this many times sales is hard yeah sales is super difficult 
Um, and it's really hard to show up every day and deliver results. And so when you have a team that's distracted and frustrated and they're just getting their teeth kicked in and all you're doing is beating them up because the numbers aren't good, um, which as a business owner, guess what the natural inclination is to do? Is, hey, the numbers are down and you're stressed now because you got to pay rent at the end of the month and you got to pay yeah. payroll at the end of the week. And, and that's tough to do when the numbers are down. It's like really hard to look at that and say, oh, you know, I got to pay you for this crappy effort. You know, it's like, literally that's where you're, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. you think about it. I, and I've had conversations with owners. They're like, yeah. oh, how can I justify this? I'm like, well, you know, hey, guess what? You know, you got to own part of this because this is your baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But uh, but the reality is, is that the if you don't look for those wins, if you don't have the patience to, 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 to your point, kind of acknowledge that and and celebrate that win, even if it was just that one customer interaction. Yeah. Right. To give them the confidence to go have the next customer interaction, to have the next one, the next one. And it's so easy to fall off that horse at times. Right. Things are going so well. You just you don't even think of it. Everything's just come in second nature. Sales are just loading up. And then all of a sudden you're like, ah, I missed one. Yeah. I probably saw that. I probably should have seen that. And then I miss another one. And I miss another one. And then you do something and I have I'm in a and and pissed me off. And now I'm like, ah. And I go into a half rear-ended, you know, sales conversation. And then, yeah. then, then uh, I have a bad conversation with my spouse and now I'm distracted. And, uh, and then somebody in the store makes me mad or, you know, whatever, or somebody in, somebody in the operations team does something that frustrates me. I don't even care anymore at this point. Yeah. And that's the last person you want representing your company and your brand to a client is somebody who's super frustrated and in that I don't care mode yeah. because there's nothing going to come out of the good outcome and come out of that uh, customer interaction. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's a good point, right? We, we didn't talk much about that as infighting, right? That, that can yeah. be <laughs> so detrimental, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Marketing, we're great, but if sales would just do their job and sales is, well, we're close them. It's fulfillment's you know, fault. And, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's an estimator, you know, it's just, it, it's such a vicious cycle. And as leader, you got to step in and, and squelch that. Yeah. Yeah. When I, and I think that that's, you know, the team, the managing the team uh, continuity is important. Yeah. You know, it's like, Hey, if you walk in another man's shoes, how is it, how, how much harder is it to talk smack about yeah, them when sure. you realize how difficult it is to work in their business? Right. Yeah, um, so make the sales team, you know, sit with the marketing people and see what they have to do or make yeah. the sales team work with the fulfillment team and recognize how challenging their job is. Yeah. And, and then you'll have a lot of really, you have a lot of really appreciative salespeople going, man, I'm so glad I don't have to do that job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or they realize, Oh, that's why that field's important in the CRM. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so cool. I mean, to really kind of bring that full circle, I think that's, a, yeah, that's a big thing is, is really trying to help um, even taking the time to, you know, at times to help your salespeople understand not only how important their role is, because I think that most of good salespeople will already know yeah. how important their role is. But um, um, helping them be appreciative of what they do, because what they bring to the table and, and, and celebrating them when you every time that you have the opportunity is really important as well. And I think, honestly, if I was going to be honest with my career, my first 10 years were good. My last 10 years were way better. Yeah, and sure. a lot of it, a lot of it was because I learned the, the how important it was to celebrate success. Yeah. Um, so I didn't reduce my standards. I just found more ways to be more um, uh, be good at recognizing my sales teams and helping them because to your point, uh, the whole reference of our, our conversation here is about sales declines. And when things are down, it's easy for everybody to point fingers, right? Yeah. Not so easy to point the finger back at yourself and say, I got to own it. This is my fault. Yeah. And, and, and when the sales team is down, the business is down, right? Yeah. It's, that's not a good place to be. Well, and that's the beauty of it is once you take, you know, what I would call extreme ownership in that situation, right? And I know we've both familiar with that concept is now you can start to change, right? Once you yeah. once you take the ownership, well, I can now own the change too. And, and it comes down to behaviors and execution and you just start yeah. figuring out and, and chipping your way out of that, that um, you know, decline that you're in. So awesome. Absolutely. Well, I think just to bring us home and kind of wrap up the topic, Eric, um, just curious, any success stories, maybe a business you've worked with that was in a bit of a sales decline and maybe some of the strategies you use to kind of help bounce back? Um, yeah. So the first thing I would say, uh, sales are down, business owners are frustrated, 
the first thing that I would say, and, 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 and it's funny having coached sports and, and played a number of sports over the years, um, <laughs> I use the old analogy, uh, find an easy win, hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, if if a, uh, in, in, the, in the fight world, in boxing, kickboxing, if a fighter was struggling for some reason, get them a, a, an easy opponent. Let them get a win under the belt. Let them get their confidence back. Confidence is so important when it comes to competitive uh, environments and sales is definitely a competitive environment. Um, it, it, it all depends on how you approach different things. But the reality is I think there's something to be said about that. You know that we worked for an organization that we felt that the the culture of the organization, which we were a sales organization, right? So the culture was super important. Uh, but, um, you know, that that, you know, get a win. So how do we do that as a business? Okay, well, um, do we have a particular client base that we could reach out to and get some easy sales? Maybe they're smaller sales. Maybe they're, they're you know, um, not really profitable sales, but they're sales nonetheless. Yeah. Um, they're, they're easy yeses. Um, when you're struggling, the biggest challenge that you begin to, to really struggle with, depending on how much you're struggling in sales, is getting a yes. Yeah. Right. So put me in an environment where I can get an easy yes. Give me some promo offers to close. Give me some existing clients that I can resell new products or services to or more existing products and services to existing clients. Right. Just give me an opportunity to get some yeses under my belt. Let me build my confidence up. Let me have some good conversations with people that I'm in, in excited with, you know, or engaged with or whatever. And now my confidence is back up and, and, and I'm in a much better mental state to approach that process, right? Um, so one, get an easy win. That's the first and foremost. So, um, and if, for instance, again, a business owner, what could it be? What well, could be my existing client base and let's resell more product to them. Stuff we've yeah. already sold them before, sell it again, right? Um, that's a relatively easy win, right? And so things like that, um, give me a special offer that it's almost stupid to give away. It's still profitable, but it's, you know, it's not, not something we would do every day, but let me get a win. Right. And, and if I'm struggling, help me get a win as yeah. a business. Let's get a win. Let's get some wins under our belt. Let's run some promos and then we can tweak it. We can adjust. Don't do it forever. Just do it for a period of time. But get off that negative track if you find yourself there. Yeah. So that's that's one thing that I jumped to immediately. I think the other thing that, um, you know, when when things are down like that, I think the other thing you consider is, is that, again, you know, where are uh, are we talking to qualified clients? I think you need to take the hard line and look at that. Um, we did that a number of times in the wireless industry where, you know, sales are down and they're like, hey, we're spending all this money on marketing. And we're looking at them like, there's not a single qualified person's walk through my door in two weeks. Yeah. You know, I, I'm 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 struggling to get somebody to get qualified on a on a on a um, because they they have to pay a deposit, right? And, yeah. and you remember that that world, right? And 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 that's when you're in that environment, and that everything is like the hardest sale I've ever had to do, kind of. Thing. It's grinding, <laughs> man. Yeah, it's it, it grinding it to the nth degree, right? It's it's really challenging. So, um, you know, finding a way around that and helping adapt through that, and then I think you know uh, some other really super th simple things you mentioned earlier is um, changing the attitude, but you know, um, having an opportunity to celebrate people. Yeah. Finding the opportunity to celebrate and, and find those wins. Um, um, look for the opportunity to celebrate. Um, even even, you know, what I think the other thing, too, uh, was really important is on a bigger scale, but make it a conscious effort to do fun things with your sales team. Yeah. I mean, with everybody. Right. But, but particularly with your sales organization, because when you keep them excited, engaged, uh, happy, you know, that they, they, they hit the ground running harder, faster, and usually can do it for longer periods of time before they hit these slowdowns. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's not always expensive, right? We've talked about no. that on other episodes. I, it's, I was watching a, uh, it was an Instagram reel and I see all the business reels cause I'm a nerd like that, but it was a, uh, a company that they do uh, funding for, uh, for small businesses, you know, regular, regular size businesses to not your small businesses, but basically do business funding. And, uh, you know, it's all these guys in a cubicle. It's not the nicest office. You know, you can tell probably not the best budget, you know, they're probably still, you know, on the, on the climb. Um, but what they had was every time one of the businesses got funded, 
They would, you know, call the guy up, have him stand up. Everybody would turn around, drop what they're doing, clap for him. They'd walk over. They had a big gong, right, that you, you, you know, bang on every time yeah. you got a deal funded. And, and just that alone, right, that didn't cost anything. It, it's just right. appreciation. It's attention. It's recognition. Uh, but then everybody's like, man, I want to, I want to, I want that. I want those applause. I want to go, you know, hit the gong, right? And yeah. so it's just those little things that sometimes get overlooked that can start to shift the morale too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, you mentioned morale a couple of times and I, I, that, that it's a major factor, right? Is, yeah. is how, how well you keep people engaged and excited about what they do. Um, you know, one of the things I, I use this reference when I talk about using, getting referrals. Um, but there was a gentleman and I, I'm literally, I'm in my twenties. I'm buying my first vacuum in my apartment or, you know, for my apartment, right. I'm buying my first vacuum. I buy a vacuum from Sears. I'm spent easy a couple hundred dollars on this vacuum. Now you're talking about a guy who's got like a 600 square foot apartment, right? I don't know yeah. it was. It wasn't very big. <laughs> and I buy a $400 vacuum. I got sold. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, the salesman's the easiest person to sell. Right. right. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, what he, what he said to me really resonated with me, really kind of changed my perspective of sales for my, for the rest of my life, really. Mm. Um, it wasn't immediately in the moment, but over time it resonated with me the more I thought through it. But in the process, he said to me, he said, this is how I make a living. Mm. This, is, this is how I pay to get my kids through school, right? And, and, uh, and was, he was easily probably, I would say, in his mid-40s or so. And you know, at 25, I'm buying my first vacuum and I'm buying a $400 vacuum. And I remember my buddy was giving me a hard time. He's like, I can't believe you spent that much money. You get a vacuum for like $60, you know? Why do you find this for it? And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. It does this and this and this. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I remember that that conversation we had. One, there's no way in the world I'm ever taking that vacuum back. I don't care if I never use that vacuum. There's no way in the world I'm taking it back after somebody says something like that to me. Yeah. And and um, but he really he really personalized the sales experience for me. And so even though I joke after the fact and I say I got sold, but the reality is I really enjoyed the sales experience. Yeah, He taught me things. I felt educated. I didn't feel like I was abused or taken advantage of in any way. I didn't, I, he didn't screw me over, so to speak. And at the end, when he really personalized it and said, this is how I make a living, I'm like, I come to respect him that much more because of that. Hmm. Right? And so what, what I say, and the reason I say that is I think that if more salespeople truly understood that there's it, sales is not a bad thing. Sales is not a dirty word. Sales is, you know, and, and right. which a lot of people still feel that way. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that that's a, that's an important component for business owners to remember. You know, it's like, Hey, this is a tough job, but these people really, if they do enjoy what they do and they appreciate the the client experience and how they serve the, solve the problems for the client, it goes a long way. And if they approach this as a true career opportunity and they learn a lot, you learn so much more working in the sales department than you do in any other department, in any company guaranteed hundred hundred percent hands down. Right. And so at the end of the day, and, and and more business owners or more people who are business owners had a background in sales than any other category of business. Uh, and mostly because most people realize that they needed to learn sales to be effective as a business owner. Not everybody, but a lot of people, yeah. majority of the people. But it's 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 because it's that natural, hey, I can do this. I believe in myself. I believe I can do this. And I think that's an important part. And as a business owner, you need to encourage that. I think that's a, a, what, what I'm trying to get at. And if you help the salesperson recognize, hey, this is an admirable career. This is a great opportunity and compensate them effectively. You're, you're going to get really loyal people who will stick with you and, and help you drive that business. And, and you know, sales declines aren't nearly, um, I think that in my opinion, sales declines are more reflective of internal circumstances than external. And I would say that that's probably... 2x, I would say two times more often than it's an internal situation than it is an external situation. Certainly our external, I referenced a handful of them, yeah. um, but I more often than not, I believe it's an internal situation. And, and I believe it, it's it's in uh, in our sales practices. It's in our processes that we may or may not be following through on it. You know, And, and like we talked about it, sales process, you having trained sales training, um, 
it is a multi-step process, right? Right. And one of one of the important components of a sales process is the post-sale follow-up. After the follow-up, you know, getting re-engaging the client again, which creates secondary sales opportunities and referral opportunities and all that kind of stuff. And that is as important as anything else when it comes to sales and sustaining sales progress. Um, Alex Ramosi does a great piece and he talks about um, building a business. And he says that, you know, in the beginning, you can front load your growth with a lot of paid ads and things like that. You can spend your way to grow your business because, but you can only do that for so long. And if eventually you're not filling your pipeline with referral business that you didn't actually have to pay to generate that traffic because you can't sustain long-term. Right. Right. Do you hit a wall? There's a point where the dollars you spend, you just can't spend more money to advertise your product. So if you're not getting referral business to supplement the ad spend that you're doing, you won't sustain business long-term. Right. So when you look at businesses that have been around 10, 15, 20, 25 years, they have done a phenomenal job of name of branding, name recognition, referral base, you know, regenerating clients and business from that. And I think that's an important component. And again, from a sales perspective, how many times did we have to teach that? And then salespeople are like, oh, I hate asking for referrals. I hate asking. For... I'm like, no, you don't understand. That's what's going to keep you alive. That's what's going to let yeah. you eat. <laughs> you know? right. Absolutely. right. And I think that that's an important piece that, you know, when people talk about sales decline, more established companies don't see significant sales declines because they have that and they've built that over time. Whether they did it consciously or unconsciously, the point is they found a way to engage your client on a consistent basis and re-engage existing and new clients from previous clients, right? And so they, yeah. they built not only um, repeat business, but they also got referral business, new clients from existing clients. Yeah. And uh, that is a huge uh, uh, level playing uh, levels of playing field with all businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Eric, I'm shocked. There's one really important thing a small business owner can do to get out of a sales decline. And you didn't uh, mention it, so I got to bring it up. Uh, no, please. Coach, right? Get a coach. Uh, that can help them. <laughs> so with that in mind, uh, we'd love to just uh, kind of wrap up and hear a little bit about, you know, maybe uh, how a business coach in this scenario could help somebody through a sales decline and maybe anything else they have going on at my biz coaches. Yeah, appreciate that. So, yeah, I think that the I think the important component here is it, again, it comes back to you know we talked about having a sales process. The best part about a good coach is a good coach recognizes a gap in a process, um, can see you know, and and you know, sales processes can vary from business to business, from product to product, service to service. But generally speaking, they have the same basic five or six, seven core steps that they should all do. Um, you know, from building rapport to establishing what their needs are to going through some kind of trial close process and actual close. And then there's some kind of post-sale follow-up. So whatever, you know, whatever that six or seven step process might look like in most businesses, they're relatively consistent. So a good coach would recognize and understand that and more importantly, be able to fine tune uh, what that looks like at each step. Um, and then allow you create or help you create a, uh, I don't want to say a document, but a, a way for you to track that process to make sure that when you're, let's yeah. say, listening in on a sales call or watching a, a employee have a sales conversation, that they're touching all those key points. Because if you miss points in that, that's why your your sales isn't working. Your sales aren't working the way they want. Right. If you go for the close and don't try a few trial close questions, there's a good reason why you're not you're you're not getting a good gauge on where you're at in the sales process. So. Um, a good coach can help through that. They can help you develop and, and put something like that together. I know, David, you do a great job of um, you've done that for years, putting together sales uh, processes and helping um, with sales training specifically. And, uh, you know, at some point in our careers together, I actually deferred and, and acknowledged that you were a better trainer than I was. Uh, when it came to training sales. Don't say um, that on the record, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I am confident. I'm comfortable in saying that, David. Um, well, I'm honored. The, yeah, no. And, 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 you know, the reality is, is that to really be good at that, it's it it, it, it was your full-time job, right? It was what right. you focused on every day. Yeah. And I was still managing, I don't even remember how many hundreds of people I had at that point. Yeah. So there's just no way I could continue to facilitate it at a level that was valuable, that was it was giving enough value or it was providing sure. enough value. It yeah. you know, but yeah, the point being is that it was, you know, you 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 were you were really dialed in. I think you understood our base really well, and that made a big difference. 
a good coach is going to be able to evolve into that or quickly be able to acknowledge and recognize opportunities and then provide you that guidance and insight. Yeah. Um, so with that said, and then they'll also help you to, you know, diagnose, uh, not diagnose, but the um, acknowledge who might be a good leader for that group because right. that shouldn't be the business owner. Generally yeah. speaking, it may is, maybe, and many times is, but it shouldn't be, it should be somebody else who's managing that sales organization so that they can focus on that. Cause that requires a lot of time and attention more than yeah. a, business owner probably can provide if they have that size of a business. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, that's a, I think it's an important part, uh, you know, as a coach, um, any good coach should have some good perspective on sales um, and be able to relate to your business and, and, and how you sell to your clients. Uh, But um, yeah. And, and as regards to, uh, you know, what we're doing at my biz coaches, we, you know, we do sales training, we do, you know, goal setting, we do um, uh, business planning, I guess is a better way to term it. Uh, time management and all those other factors that we incorporate in in a big in a good coaching relationship and sales training is obviously one of them and communication is another big one too yeah but um yeah so and as far as new things then you know i'll continue to tease that uh, we got some really big relationships one of these days, <laughs> uh yeah i can't divulge too much too fast you know i don't know how much competition is really out there but uh um, I don't believe that there's anybody who's going to compete with what we got when we put it all together. It's, uh, things awesome. are coming together well. So excited about that. But the, um, uh, you know, the last thing I would leave anybody with, and, and, and this is a, a good reminder about coaching in general, um, even in sales, you, you need somebody to be leading that group, as I mentioned earlier. And that shouldn't be the business owner. It needs to be somebody who understands how to not only sell uh just sell in general but more specifically sell your product well your product or service whatever it is for your company and that person needs to own that process yeah that way the owner can then manage the person that manages the sales process right Um, there you go that way you create the delineation between um deliverer of and and um supplier of, I guess, for lack of a better term, but, you know, the owner's responsibility is to make sure that the sales organization has what they need to be successful. Yep. Right. And, and, and that, that sales, that sales leader, that's their main focus is getting with the owner and saying, hey, here's the things I need for the sales team to be successful. Right. Right. And, and um, having that relationship and that, and obviously it's a big, a slightly bigger organization, but it doesn't have to be big. I mean, a couple of people on the sales team needs a leader because um, yeah. three or four people reporting to a, an owner, trying to run a business not conducive. Yeah, especially if you're trying to scale and grow, right? Absolutely. Yep, great point. Awesome. Well, Eric, as always, uh, some great insights. And uh, if you want to get other insights, we definitely invite you to subscribe uh, to the show, whether it's on YouTube or any of our podcast platforms. Uh, If you want to learn more about Eric, head over to mybizcoaches.com, especially if you're in a sales decline, get a coach that can help you through it. As always, Eric, it's been great and uh, hope you have a good rest of your day. Awesome. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Great hanging out with you as always. Awesome. And for those watching, listening, we'll see you on the next episode of The Biz Coach Show.